We are in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and will give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As we continue now in this last year of Jesus' life, in the year of opposition, last week we came to this section on prayer, and we're going to continue on in that this morning. But if you remember last week, what I said to you is that when Jesus was asked by the disciples to teach them how to pray, on two occasions, he started that prayer with, Father. And unless you know how scandalous that was when Jesus spoke that word, you won't really appreciate this text today. We talked about that last week. The word Father was used in the Old Testament about 15 times, but always in reference to the nation. Never in, the, in, in relation to intimacy that it is here. It was just another nail in the coffin for Jesus, as far as the religious leaders were concerned. Just another way in which this man deserved to be done away with. You see... They had it half right in the Old Testament. And uh, they believed that God was transcendent and sovereign. And He is. In fact, they felt it so strongly, as we said last week, that they wouldn't even write the name, the covenant name of God, but they came up with another name, Jehovah, to write it. That's how sacred they felt that name was. And they were right to feel that. You see, the danger we talked about last week is we flip on it now because Jesus came and he taught us to pray, Father, which was right and good. But it was never intended to be detached from the transcendence and sovereignty and hallowedness of God and his name as well. You must hear it together. Father, hallowed be thy name. You need to see it in that kind, that kind of tension there, in a sense, if you will. 
And really what it means is, is kind of the idea of the word daddy, but, but in a reverent tone. Dearest father. Dearest father is maybe the best way to translate what Jesus said there. Dearest father, hallowed be thy name. And last week we spent the whole time talking about why we don't want to run away from that second half. Why we don't want to cower from that and, and just worry about the first part of that because there's, there's much more warmth in it. There is warmth. Jesus meant to teach warmth. Dearest Father. But He never meant it to be detached from the second part of the prayer because if you detach it, you have no basis for the warmth except sentimentality. Just kind of a hopeful sense that God will go easy on you. But it's, it's rooted nowhere. It has no place to land. And I want to say to you, when I sin, I want to have a place to land. I don't want to just hope maybe God didn't see it or it wasn't as bad as somebody else's. I want to have someplace rock solid to land. I don't want to just stay away from God for a while until He gets over it. I want to have a place to land. And so do you. And if you rip hallowed be thy name out of the picture, you have no solid place to land. Now, I believe that prayer is a prayer for more than this, but I think in it is what I said last week. That you don't want to run away from the holiness of God's name because that is your very hope. God has made promises. We talked about them this morning. Those who take refuge in Him. He's made promises to save a people. In the Old Testament, they were saved the same way we're saved in the New Testament. By looking to what God had promised. Now in the New Testament, we look back and see the full picture of that promise in the face of Christ. But they looked ahead. They took refuge in the fact that God had made a promise and that God staked His very name on the fact that He would fulfill that promise. And they knew that God could not let His name be defamed and defiled. And to go back on His word would be to defile His name. And so they rested in His name for the sake of Your name, David prayed. Forgive my iniquity for it is great. What did he rest on? That God would get over it? That God would just kind of wink and let it go by? No. On the name of God. On the promise that God was a God who would fulfill His promise to save a people from their sins. You see, you, you don't want to take that part of God away. Because that is the solidness upon which you pray, Dearest Father. And you can know that it's true. Do you see that? People today run all over the place, as we've said, to find security. They know it's important. They know they need it. But they go to the wrong places. And I understand for those outside of the church to go to the wrong place. You want protection. You want sentimentality to rule the day. You want something to, to, to take away your fear. 
But the tragedy is that the church sometimes does the same thing. We take away the holiness of His name. And we ought never to do that. We of all people ought to know they need to go together. And we need not be afraid of the second half. Because it is the very thing that gives us confidence and hope. For the unbeliever, it should give us pause. And should strike fear. And should cause them to run. But not for the believer. Never for the believer. Because it is the very commitment to his name that our hope rests on. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to go on a bit in that context. Because if you don't start there, nothing that I say now will make any sense at all. In fact, before we leave that, I want you to turn to one more place so that, so that you can tie this together. Turn to John chapter 12 and verse 28. This is just kind of a side bar here. This is just another thing to tack on to what we said the last couple of weeks. Maybe a passage that you want to go back to and look at later. But I want, I want to show you that, that what I've said is not something I've just strung together, but it's all throughout Scripture. Dearest Father, hallowed be thy name. May your name be honored. May your name have all the glory that it should have. That's really what it's saying there. May it be holy. May it not be brought down. Well, now look at this passage here. It's interesting. The Son of Man here says this, Jesus. And it's, it's as He's approaching the cross. Look at what it says. Verse 27. Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. And then look what He prays there. Father, Glorify your name. I think you can insert, Hallowed be thy name. And Jesus said, It's to this end and purpose that I've come. To glorify your name, that your name might be hallowed. And what is that all about? Is it not his death and his burial and ultimately his resurrection? To this hour He's come. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said uh, that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to Him. Jesus answered, The voice has come for your sake, not mine. This is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. You see the thing? You see it there? You see the gospel? Do you see how, how we can rest in God glorifying His name and His name being hallowed? His, his, his name was tied to His Son coming. Now, the Old Testament people didn't know that. They just trusted that He was going to do what He said, that He would not go back on His word. And now we look back. And we begin to see how God upheld the holiness of His name. He glorified His name. He didn't let it be defiled. He didn't just wink at sin. He didn't just, in a sentimental way, say that's no big deal. But rather, He provided a way that it could be fully cared for. He, his Son was lifted up on the cross. And because of that, God's honor, 
could be upheld. You see, Jesus came to glorify his name. He came that his name might be hallowed. You see, that's why we can go back to that, that prayer. And it means more, but it means no less than the assurance and the security that you can call him dearest father without any fear that you'll be disappointed if you've taken refuge, if you've looked to that Christ. Now, this morning, let's go on. But don't leave the context. Don't leave the context of this prayer. Let me read to you now from Luke chapter 11 again, just that prayer. And, and I said last week, and I say it again, two times this prayer appears. So it, it, it's not the same thing just regurgitated in Luke and Matthew, but it appears it was two different times. Two different times Jesus taught on prayer, and both times he used a similar pattern. Now in Luke, he didn't say as much as he did in Matthew on that occasion, but he said the same essence of things. Listen to it. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. I think it's okay to pray the Lord's Prayer. I think, I think there's a sense in which we can just pray that prayer. But I think Jesus meant more than that. I think he meant the implications of those kind of fence posts. Let me read to you how another filled in the lines of that prayer, using it as a guide. Listen to this God-centered way of praying. And I quote him, Father, we long to see you honored more and more in our church and in our city. Cause your name to be hallowed among us. Magnify your worth and your glory in our minds and let your kingdom come. Take up your kingly rule more and more fully over our church and our lives and our families and our city. And hasten the day of Christ's final appearing. Meet our physical needs, we pray, so that we can press on with joy in the work you call us to for your name's sake. Forgive us, O Lord, where we have sinned and fallen short of your glory. And keep us from entangling temptations that will trip us up and bring reproach upon your name. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You see, the whole prayer has to start at the, at the top. Father, dearest Father, hallowed be thy name. And all of the rest of it is ways in which his name is hallowed. Ways in which we make sure that his name is lifted up. Now, the rest of this text begins to talk about confidence that God hears such a prayer. Such a prayer like I prayed. The context now, he gives three different kind of, of uh, snippets of, about prayer here, really. You could break it into three different parts. Three things he says about prayer. Three little vignettes about prayer. But don't disconnect them now to, to that prayer because they're in that context. He gives the Lord's Prayer and then he shares three things about prayer. And they all go back to that kind of prayer, to that kind of God-centered praying. We can have 
these kinds of confidences. I want to start with a third one. I want to start clear down at the bottom of that text. If you want to go there this morning, way down toward the bottom of the of that narrative there and the words of Jesus, he tells a story there. He says, um, beginning in verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Is that what the text says? That's what it infers, but it does more than that. It actually tells us what that good gift is. It says there, this is the way it reads, How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I don't think it does violation to say good gifts, but what is that good gift? And here in this text, in this context, Jesus says, Holy Spirit. Why did he drop that in there? I think he dropped it in there because that's the essence of what he gives. That's the essence of the answered prayer we get when we come to Him, when we come to Him with God-centered prayers. Prayers that are about His name being honored. His name not being defiled. When we come with those kinds of prayers, the Scripture says He answers them and He answers them with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that look like? If you've been around a while, you'll, you'll have heard this before. I think that what it looks like is this that the scripture tells us whether we eat or drink or whatever we do to do it what? To the glory of God. To the glory of His name. That His name might be hallowed. That's, that's how we're to live as Christians. So that His glory will ring out. His renown will ring out. Well, you take that a step farther. And the scripture says that He will meet all of our needs according to the riches of Christ. So, what is our need? I hope you could answer this, many of you. Our need is to live for the glory of God. Our need is all the grace that we need, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, to live for the glory of God. I can say with rock-solid confidence that God promises to answer that prayer, to give you all the grace you need in every circumstance of your life to live for His glory. Because He's committed to His glory. He's committed to that. He is supremely committed to His glory. And as we read this text, it says, if you ask He'll give you something. And what does He give you? It doesn't say all the grace you need, but it says the Holy Spirit, which is the conveyor of the grace. The conveyor of the grace to the believer is the indwelling presence of God by His Holy Spirit. He extends grace to us. He extends strength to us. And so when it says good gifts, the good gift we need, the good gift that we can be confident that God will give us 
is that. I like the text in other places where it says if, if he asks for bread, will God give you a stone? No. No. If you ask for his grace, that you might live for his glory, that his renown would ring out in your life in whatever circumstance you find yourself, you can have a rock-solid confidence that this God will help you. I think that's what the text is saying. And therefore, because of that fact, because of the confidence that this God will do that, there's ways we can approach prayer. And that's what he gives us in the other two places here in this text. The other two things that he writes about in this text. Let's look at it here this morning. Verse 5. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his imprudence, he will rise And he will give him whatever he needs. I think the first illustration that we get of how to come to God because of what we just said in the end of this text is we come with him with a sense of of boldness. Now, reverent boldness, not brashness. Not pride, not any of that, but we can come boldly into his presence. And that's exactly what happened here. What this text teaches is the man went boldly to his neighbor. He knew his neighbor was going to get upset. He knew he was going to wake him in the middle of the night. He knew that uh, he had bread, evidently. He knew he had something to give him. And, and he went to his neighbor, and what, what he finds is in that, in that context, in that culture, that neighbor had his, his door barred. It wasn't a simple thing to unbar it. And not only did he have his door barred probably, but he had all of his children sleeping in the same room with him on the same mat. And so all of a sudden this man comes, and he starts boldly coming, knowing that it's not going to be a happy moment, But he still comes. And this man finally gets up. Even if it's going to wake up his children. Even if it's going to mean unbarring the door. Because he knows if he doesn't, the whole neighborhood is going to be awake. That's the the picture we get. He comes. He comes to him and there's initial resistance. And yet because he comes with a kind of spirit and a kind of boldness. A boldness that is really shameless. He gets up. And then the scripture says, if, if this man will do this, how much more? It is the whole argument, the lesser to the greater. If this man will do it, how much more will this father do it? This dearest father who is committed to meeting the needs of his children. The needs of his children in whatever circumstance to live for his glory. That's the text. That's the context of what we're given here. A gracious God who does not despise our coming. He doesn't despise it. Now you see, as we talked in my Sunday school class this morning, if, if, you're not, if you're not getting what we talked about last week and as I began this week, 
you won't, you won't have a shameless boldness to come. You won't have a rock-solid confidence that you can even come. And, and you'll, you'll not move into His presence as you should, with the kind of confidence that you should. You'll tend not to even ask, probably. But I say to you this morning that the picture we get is a shameless boldness. Do you ask Him? Do you cry out to Him? God, help me. There's a text in our, in our bulletin this morning. Again, I, I take you back there a lot, lots of times. The text from Isaiah. You can open your bulletin. Look, it's there every week. There's no God like our God. No eye has seen, no ear perceived any God like our God who does what? Who acts or works. I don't think it does violation. Works on behalf of those who wait for Him, who come to Him, who have a shameless boldness and know where that boldness lies, not in their own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ, and knows that not only will that God not turn them away, but He will give them what they need, which is all the grace through the presence of the Holy Spirit to live for the glory of God, to exalt His name, in their lives. And then another illustration. Look again. You just read on a bit. It says in verse 9, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Again, the admonition, the admonition to, to come with a shameless boldness that is trusting that this God will provide what's needed. Seeking, asking, knocking. Do we do it? Do we do it or will we just leave it lay there? Leave all of these precious promises just laying there, unappropriated for us unappropriated in our time of need. What do you do when, when, when temptation faces you in the face? Do you do this? Do you knock? Do you have a shameless boldness that comes before your God, cries out to Him for grace and strength and help? We need to be a people who know we can come and know the basis upon which we can come. And then we just need to come. He will not begrudge us. He will not turn us away. He will not say that's enough. He will never do that. That's what the text says. He will never do that. God help us. God help us to be people who learn to pray self, or God's, not self. God help us to be people who learn to pray God-centered prayers. God-centered prayers. May we be a people who are known for the God-centeredness of our prayers because it is, it is in that that God comes. When our prayers are God-centered and kingdom-oriented, God comes. He will not turn us away. If they're about the glory of His name, if they're about the exalting of His name, if they're about the, 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 uh, the, the fact that His name is not to be defiled, 
God will come. Now, we don't know perfectly always exactly how that looks. It may be that what we specifically pray for, God may give us something else at times, but God knows what best exalts His name. Let me pray that prayer again, the prayer we began with this morning. You think about your own life. Do your prayers sound like this? Is that the kind of things that rises up in your soul when you go to pray? Are these the kinds of things that are, are at, the, at the top of your heart and the top of your heart's desire? Father, we long to see you honored more and more in our church and in our city. Cause your name to be hallowed among us. I think you could stop there. You could stop there. I, I would hope you would stop there when you think about the hallowedness of His name. You see, I said, Dearest Father, hallowed be thy name means more than what I said at the beginning, but not less. And so you stop to say, Cause your name to be hallowed among us. Cause me, Father, to, to rest in you in all that you are for me in Christ. And help me to rest in the hallowedness, the holiness of your name, Lord, that that you will not let it be defiled. You will not turn your back on me. You say things to us, Lord, like, he who believes in me will never be put to shame. He who takes refuge in me will not be put to shame. Lord, hallow your name and how I trust you and how I rest in that and how I use that, that rest to launch me out to be courageous as I go into the world. Magnify your worth and your glory in our midst. Let your kingdom come. Take up your kingly rule more and more fully over our church and our lives and our family and our city. And hasten the day of Christ's final appearing. Meet our physical needs, we pray, so that we can press on with joy in the work you call us to for your namesake. You see how important it is that, that we don't dutifully go do our work? If we're dutifully doing our stuff for Christ because it's our duty, does that honor Christ? This prayer talks about doing it because of the joy of doing it. I pray that we think about that. Lord, free me from dutifulness. May I do it in the joy that comes from the security I have in Your name. Forgive us, O Lord, when we have sinned and fallen short of Your glory. It's all about His glory. Sin is about His glory. Romans says, we all have sinned and fallen short of what? His glory. His glory. And keep us from entangling temptations that will trip us up and bring reproach upon your name. Is, is, that, is that the motivation for you to resist temptation? Is that at the forefront of your resistance? I don't want your name. I don't want to bring reproach upon your name, Lord. Help me. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You see, that's the kind of thing that this text is talking about. Those kinds of prayers. 
God-centered praying that God says, I will not turn you away. I will not have a deaf ear. I will come to your aid. And the aid I will give is the promised Holy Spirit. I will give you strength. The scripture says, if we belong to Christ, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. God will give us grace through that in our lives. I hope you know that reality this morning. And all of it is rooted, all of it is rooted right back to God's commitment to His name of having it honored. And part of that now as we look back in the Old Testament sense is we see how it all comes together, don't we? We see how God, in Romans says, in His forbearance passed over sins. He passed over sins of Old Testament saints. He didn't, he didn't wink at them. He didn't ignore them. He just didn't punish them right away because they were taking refuge in God. And what that refuge fleshes out to be and, and the way it works, the way He could not let His name be defamed and defiled was that Christ was going to take the sins that He passed over and take their punishment. And for us who look back on now, Christ has taken ours as well. And it's all for the sake of the honor of His name. Let's sing about that. Let's stand together.
your son came that day and said, Father, glorify thy name. He knew it was to this hour that he had come because all of redemption was about God being able to uphold the holiness of his name and forgive the sins of a sinful people and to do it justly. Oh Lord, I pray that that our rest today for everyone in this place, our security is running to the name of our God. Taking refuge in that name. And all that you did to uphold the glory of that name in the face of Christ. Father, I just pray that this would be a sweet Christmas season for us in that knowledge. And if there's one here this morning, maybe maybe it's the first time. Just just it's it's starting to make sense. I pray that they would look to the lifted up Christ. Because you promised, Lord. If you're lifted up, I will draw him in to myself and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you this morning.